0: Verse of the Lord, Job chapter 23, I'm just going to read a, a portion, I'm not going to read the whole chapter like we did last time, but Job 23 and 8 says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Amen. We are continuing today in our series on finding God in the four corners of your life. And In our first lesson, which I think is a couple of weeks ago now, we spoke about the fact that that God was in our past, that Although there may have been things that occurred that were painful, that were traumatic, God purchased our whole lives, and He is able to take the past and to use it as a part of a tapestry or a design that He has for us. And it's not always easy for us to see how and why things happen, but we trust the Lord that He knows exactly where we've come from. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, before you were even conceived, Before you even came out of your mother's womb, before you were formed in the belly, the Lord said, I knew you. God knew each and every one of us before we were even imagined. Before our parents even thought about having kids, the Lord knew us. And in the same way, He knows every one of us that is here today. Amen. That was what we focused on in our first lesson. But in this lesson today, I want to particularly draw your attention to verse 9 of Job 23. Where it says, on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Job spoke about being unable to find or see or behold God on either his left hand or his right hand side. And the scripture places very significant importance upon the right hand. If you study that in the word of the Lord, you will see that it is the position of strength and power. It is also the position of blessing and honor. And the left hand is considered to be the lesser position or the place of weakness, which if you're left-handed like me is somewhat offensive, but that's okay. Uh, But in the the Scripture, this is the, the picture that we are given. And to give you some scriptural examples to support this view of the prominence of the right hand, In Exodus 15 and 6, the scripture says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. Psalm 16 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 118 verse 16 says, The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. And into the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was giving his testimony and then, and then he was stoned to death, as, regard of, as a result of that, it says, But he, that Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And so throughout the scripture we see this emphasis on the right hand being a symbol of power and authority and even majesty. But to back up the scriptural view of the left hand, in Genesis chapter 48, uh, I won't read a lot of the scripture, but Jacob is coming to the end of his life. And he calls for Joseph, and Joseph brings in his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh, I believe, is the oldest son. And Jacob, Jacob's vision is, is, is failing. He's getting old, and, and he wants to pray. He, the Bible says he blesses Joseph, and he wants to bless Joseph's sons. And the Bible says that Joseph deliberately guides his two boys to a particular hand of his father. He deliberately guides Manasseh. I think it is the oldest son toward his father's right hand and the younger son toward his father's left hand. Now, I've just done that backwards, which I'm probably going to do all morning. But knowing that the right hand was the place of the greater blessing and that belonged on the oldest son. And so Joseph deliberately steers his boys to those positions in his father's presence. But the scripture says that the old man crosses his hands. And puts his right hand on the younger son's head, and his left hand on the older son's head. And Joseph is irritated with this. He says, "No, he says, Dad, you, you've got it wrong. He said this boy is the oldest boy." And Jacob basically says, "I know what I'm doing. This is the way and the will of the Lord." But what we see there is that it was an unusual practice. Normally, that right hand went on the firstborn son, and the left hand you got, you got the leftovers. It was just, if you weren't the firstborn, that was just kind of how it was particularly in Old Testament times. The book of Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter and the 2nd verse, says a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. In Matthew chapter 25, it says that when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep, from the goats. And it says, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the ones on the left hand get the other option. So scripture gives us this, this view of the, the right and the left hand. And so with that principle or that platform, I want to talk this morning a little, for a little while about our strengths and our weaknesses our strengths and our weaknesses our right hand and our left hand amen each of us has a unique personality amen some of us are more unique than others but each of us has a unique personality and that personality is made up of various components and types and we're not going to do a study on personality types today We actually may do something specific for that a little later in the year. But whatever the components of your personality are, they have strengths and they have weaknesses. To give you an example, or just a couple of examples, if you are a a highly confident person, most people would view that as a strength, but sometimes when people are highly confident, that also makes them very intolerant or judgmental of others who are not so confident which is a weakness that's a part of that strength if you are reliable and faithful and hard-working and consistent that would be a strength but at the same time you may be very slow to accept change or anything being adjusted you know everybody says we need to change but nobody actually wants to change and so that would be a weakness if you are a spontaneous creative person that's definitely not me But if you are a spontaneous, creative person, that could be considered a strength. But then you may have the weakness of becoming very easily bored with routine and regular life, which in some areas of your life would be a weakness. Some people who are spontaneous and creative find keeping the same job for a period of time challenging. They need something to to spark that creative side of who they are. And because we are flawed people with sinful natures, It only makes sense that we will have both strengths and weaknesses. We don't like to acknowledge it sometimes, but it's the truth. All of us have strengths and weaknesses. Only Jesus had the perfect balance of personality. No weaknesses at all. And they crucified him. So there's not a lot of hope for you and I in that picture. Amen. We also have strengths and weaknesses in our abilities. And sometimes we think of strengths as being talents or gifts. Now, a lot of people, probably the majority of us, if we're honest, don't see ourselves as having a lot of strengths. If I say, stand up and tell me what your strengths are, I don't think everybody's going to launch themselves to their feet and say, ask me. Most of us look at ourselves and go, not seeing a whole lot, if we're honest. But the reality is that God has given all of us abilities. They're not always easy to identify, but they're there. One of the the things that I, just as an example of this, there are some people who may never play a musical instrument, me. some people who may not necessarily, other people look at them and say, wow, look at their talent. But in the family of God, they may have an incredible ability to be an encourager amongst the brethren. Now, that's not something that you would necessarily write on your resume. If you're applying for a job, I probably wouldn't advise you to put down there encourager of the brethren at church. They may not be looking for that at Hungry Jack's or wherever it is that you're going for a job. But that is a strength. And that is something that God gives certain people to operate within the family of God. And for somebody who can come alongside somebody who's not doing so good and encourage them to keep going that's incredibly precious you see we don't often think about things like that as being strengths we we think of the things that are easy to identify and to surround with bright lights but the facts are we all have strengths we all have things that god has given us that we can do amen now there are tests and there are quizzes and there is a multitude of them where you can do the test or do the quiz and you can discover what your gifting is. This has become a very popular word in religious circles in recent years, that we would find our gifting. And there's nothing wrong with that. And these things can be very helpful, some of these tests. In fact, I'm most likely going to be incorporating some of those into our discipleship classes that we're doing on a Sunday afternoon. But the natural view, when I say natural, I mean human natural... The natural view of our gifts, our talents, and our strengths is to use them for our own benefit. For our own benefit. Now, we see this when we make decisions about the careers we're going to go into or or a path of study that we might choose. It only makes sense that we would tend to choose things that we're interested in and consider ourselves to have some kind of an ability. If you cannot hammer in a nail, no matter how many times you've tried you probably shouldn't be a carpenter. Just, you know, that's just kind of how it is. And so when we talk about seeking employment and, or study and those kind of things and being able to provide for people that are dependent upon us, that's a good use of, of focusing on ourselves with our strengths. There's nothing wrong with that. But from the perspective of the kingdom of God, the abilities, the talents, the gifts that God has given us are for the benefit of others. They are not primarily given to us that we might be blessed. But in the sight of God, they are primarily given to us that others may benefit from them. Whether we talk about the fivefold ministry gifts that are listed in Ephesians 4, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in First Corinthians 12 and 14, the service gifts in Romans chapter 12, or any other gifts that may not even be listed in the Scripture, and I believe there are other gifts that the Scripture may not list, All of them are for the purpose of ministering to others. That people may be encouraged, that the church may be edified, that it may be built up. God does not give you an ability to go home and spend all day blessing yourself for that ability. But he gives us, every one of us, a unique package that we might somehow use that to minister to other people, especially in the household of faith. Amen. Amen obviously if we're not aware of our talents if we're not aware of our gifts or our strengths that's going to hinder us greatly from being able to use them effectively we don't know we can do something we're unlikely to operate in that fashion but for a couple of minutes let's consider what are some other things that can hinder us from our strengths being used for the glory of god because just having a strength is not enough there's a process there's 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 things that are necessary This is perhaps not an exhaustive list, but these are some things that can hinder us from using the things that God has given us for His glory as He would have us to do. And the first one on my list is self-centered living. When we are focused on me, when we're focused on ourselves and we're only interested in serving our own purpose or our own profit, we will never be what God would have us to be because giving of ourselves is central to serving god it's not an option if you want to serve god you must be willing to give whether it's your resources whether it's your time whether it's abilities giving is central to serving god that's inescapable but if if our lives are focused around ourselves if we are the only reason that we live now believe in taking care of yourself i believe in looking after yourself but If everything we do is, what can I get? Then you will never see what God wants you to be in His kingdom because you're looking at yourself, not at the kingdom of God. Amen. The next thing on my list is unfaithfulness. A life that wavers between serving God and living sinfully is really going to struggle to contribute to the kingdom of God. We're in and out, up and down we're going to really have a hard time contributing to what the Lord would have us to do. After all, the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. So if I'm living with one foot on each side of the fence, that which God has placed in me for His glory is not ever going to be fulfilled because we're inconsistent. We come into the house of the Lord, although I want to serve the Lord, then a month later we're outside doing our own thing and that unfaithfulness is not going to see your strengths come to their maturity or their fulfillment in God's sight. Now, when I used to work in hospitality, and Sister Natalie can verify some of this, a lot of people in hospitality, unfortunately, use drugs. Now, when you work with people that are regular drug users, what happens is one day they come to work and they're amazing. They do the work of three humans because they're in a cycle in their drug use where everything is great but the problem is when the cycle swings the other way they come into work and they do nothing and so the challenge as a, as a, a person in authority or in, in, a, in a leadership role is that you never knew what day was what and it was hard to know what kind of work that person was going to do on that day because you didn't know where they were on the merry-go-round now that's exactly what it's like if we're unfaithful to the Lord we're in and out in and out nobody knows where we are or exactly where we are at any given time unfaithfulness to the house of god is also crucial being able to be depended on and to being consistent is very important you may have a gift or a strength in a particular area that could be a wonderful ingredient in what god is doing among his people But if people are guessing whether you're going to be in church next week or not going to be in church, your effectiveness is going to be greatly reduced. Being faithful is very, very important. Amen. The next thing on my list of things that can hinder us from our strength being used for God's glory is character issues. Character issues. In the world, your talent is more important than you are. The world is all about talent. I don't watch TV, but I know enough from advertising that everybody's looking for talent. Different talent searches and different this and that, trying to find the next great superstar. And what happens is they will use you for their purpose and then discard you when you are no longer profitable. That's how it works. In the sight of God, you are more important than your talent or your strength. You are more important than what you can do. Immaturity in our character, serious character flaws that will damage others or damage ourselves can be a reason that we are held back. God wants your gifts to contribute to his kingdom, but he also wants you to still be there at the end. The world will use you and discard you. But God is more interested in you being there on that day when he returns than you being the most talented person in the building. Amen. Bless the Lord. We see this sometimes in the sporting world where young men and women who have incredible natural talent or athleticism are fast-tracked to the highest level of professional sport and competition. And with that rapid elevation often comes huge amounts of money, huge amounts of fame and celebrity status. There are so many stories, particularly in the world of, of football or soccer, as some people know, where kids that come from the back streets of third world countries that have natural abilities find themselves being paid amounts of money that you and I can't even begin to imagine and becoming a celebrity and every kid in the world is wearing their shirt with their name on the back and even while these young people are still in their teens they're playing in front of thousands of people being photographed for magazines being interviewed for television signing multi-million dollar contracts for different product endorsements and it just it's, it's an incredible rise to fame. But the tragedy, and many of us know of these stories, is that some of them cannot handle the intoxicating nature of their new status. And it becomes more about the celebrity and less about their gift. Relationships fail. Illicit drugs can become a problem. Disagreements with coaches and mentors because they believe they're being held back. And what happens sometimes is a gifted athlete ends up on the scrap heap of life forgotten about very very quickly because all they cared about was the talent not the individual amen but the scripture says in james 4 and 10 humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up that's what the bible says it does not say when he will lift you up so until he does our job is just to continue to humble ourselves it doesn't say humble yourselves for a week, a year, two years, five years. It just says if you will humble yourself, He will lift you up. Brother Tenney put it like this. He said our job is to humble ourselves. His job is to lift us up. If we try to do His job, He will do ours. <laughs> and That's worth remembering. If we try to lift ourselves up, He may humble us. Amen. God will give you opportunity To use your strengths, your gifts, your talents that will come at the same time as you have the character to handle it. Because in the sight of God, your salvation is more important than your gifts. And I have seen talented young people in the kingdom of God get fast-tracked to ministry and platforms and, and being up in front of people because of their talent. They did not have the character to go the distance and now they're not even they're not ministering they're not even walking with god anymore because their talent was not tempered with their character amen the next thing on my list of things that can hold us back from seeing what our strength can become is inactivity through comparison inactivity through comparison most of us at one point or another have wished we could be like someone else i would suggest in my own life a lot more than one point or another probably dozens of points comparison of ourselves with others seems to be a default setting in human nature in fact when you look in the garden or just outside of the garden cain and abel were in a place of comparison when they brought sacrifice there was a comparison between them in the sight of the lord and then cain compared how he was treated to how his brother was treated And the wheels fell off. Amen. It seems to be something that's just natural to us. We compare ourselves with each other. But it can also have a crippling example or a crippling effect, rather, on our becoming what God would have us to be because we're too busy looking at the other person's talent. And it leads us to be inactive because we're comparing. There is nothing wrong with admiring someone else's abilities. I love to listen to our music team play love to worship together with them, not just their talent, but their spirit. But I'm not about to try and break into the music team. Don't have those gifts, don't have those abilities. I'm able to enjoy them without coveting them and saying, because they can play and I can't, I'm useless. And unfortunately, that's what too many of us do sometimes. You see, there's nothing wrong with admiring someone else's abilities. But when you take the next step, and undervalue your own abilities because of theirs that's wrong Isaiah 45 and 9 says woe unto him that striveth with his maker let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it what makest thou or thy work he hath no hands the same concept is communicated in Romans 9 and 20 it says nay but o man who art thou that replyest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Why did you make me this way, God? Why couldn't you have made me like brother so-and-so? Or you lady, sister, and so-and-so? If any of you guys wish you were made like sister, so-and-so, we may have a problem. But can, can the clay turn around to the potter and say, Why did you make me this way? How, how foolish is that? Have you ever given somebody a gift? And we've probably all had this experience. You, bring, you buy a gift for somebody and you give it to them and you watch their face as it becomes very obvious that they don't really like the gift that you've just given them. Or worse, they don't even want the gift that you've just given them. That's really disappointing. It's an anti-climax because you've got that, oh, I'm going to give you a gift. And then they look in their faces like, you don't like it, do you? And they go, oh, um, no, no, it, it's, it's fine. I just, and they try to cover up their, the disappointment that was all over their face. You can remember as a child being taught by my parents to always be thankful for gifts. And whenever somebody gave you a gift, they always say thank you. And I remember some gifts I got as a child that really stretched my ability to do that. I tried, I really tried. I can remember one year when I was at an age where presents were toys. That's just how it was. My grandmother gave me a lovely pair of brown pajamas. Took everything I had to say, thanks, grandma. Uh, That was about all I could get out. I didn't have much more than that. But that feeling when you give somebody something and and you look at their face and they go... My mother has a friend that has been her friend most of my life. And she's a very different personality to my mother. And she buys gifts for my mother that she likes. And to this day, I can go to my mother's house. And there'll be something there. And I'll go, that doesn't belong. And before I even ask the question, who bought that? I know the answer. I, we, we used to laugh because there were these collections of gifts my mother was kind and didn't want to throw them away, at me it would have been <laughs> throw that away. But there were things that weren't even close to my mother's taste. But my mother's friend thought, Oh, this is really nice. And we've all been given gifts like that, and they go into the back cupboard, or we've had some gifts given to us that have gone into the bathroom in our bedroom where nobody sees them. And then after a season, when another one of them comes, we throw that one out and replace it with that one. So if you've given us something, please don't come looking for it, just in case your gift went into the bathroom. But we don't like how that feels. But imagine imagine how God feels when we reject the gifts that He's placed in us, particularly knowing that He knows exactly what we need that he knows exactly what we're suited for and exactly what we will be able to contribute through or from better than any other gift that he could give us. And yet we go, I didn't want that, God. I wanted Brother Donald's talent or, or Sister Natalie's talent or Brother Frost's ability. I didn't want this. And the Lord's saying, if you will allow me, I know what you need. Amen. you know those gifts you get when your kids your parents bought you because you needed them not that you wanted them those cruel parents that buy their kids school uniforms for christmas because they need them that's one way to stop you believing in santa claus right there bless the lord so with these things in mind to bring these thoughts together so far If I want my strengths, my gifts, my abilities, the things that God has placed in me to reach their maximum in the kingdom of God, I need to have a giving heart to start with. I don't need to be asking the question, do I have to? But rather, can I? Can I give? Can I contribute somehow? Is there something I can do? Many talents and gifts are discovered in people that were ignorant of them. But they were discovered when somebody said, I'll do anything I can to help. Ministries have been uncovered doing the mundane tasks. Stephen's ministry was discovered through ministering to old ladies, complaining old ladies. And through his willingness to serve at the request of the apostles, he was able to minister powerfully and do signs and wonders. That was not in his job description, but it was discovered through willingness. So if we want to see what God wants, we must have a giving heart. We must be faithful. We must be faithful to God, to his house, to his people. If we're going to see what God would have us to be. I think that faithfulness is possibly one of the things of highest value in God's sight. He values your faithfulness more than your talents because He gave you the talents. But you give Him your faithfulness. He cannot force that. You have to choose to be faithful. I need God. I need to allow God to perfect or to work on my character. If the flaws in who I am are restricting my ability to contribute, I need to say, God, change me. Change me. I need to acknowledge that gifts come from God so that I don't get puffed up. And I need to learn to be content with who God made me to be and not to compare myself with others. Amen. Verse of the Lord. Ephesians 4 and 16. Many of you know this verse. It says, From whom the whole body, whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every Joint, every joint, supplieth. according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You get the focus there and the emphasis in that verse: whole body, every joint, every part. Every one of us is made to fit together in this crazy thing that God calls the church and contribute to what God would have us to do amen disunity can easily come from discontent with ourselves comparison with others and carnal selfishness i read this the other day it's not from scripture but it was it was a quote by a a brother named dr talmadge french who's one of our bible school instructors in the states he said this he said the primary hindrance to spiritual growth revival reaching and converting the lost is carnality lived out in disunity and i thought that was worth writing down when we're in our flesh we will never achieve unity amen that's worth thinking about and that's just talking about our strengths. let's consider our weaknesses for a little while just as many of us don't think we have strengths all of us think we have weaknesses if i said who has a weakness this morning we'd probably be all a lot faster to stand up than when we ask the same question about having a strength. Because we're all very willing to acknowledge we have weaknesses. We're convinced of them. And uh, we've already considered how some of our weaknesses can hinder our strengths. But you see, our strengths tend to cause us, if we're not careful, to be self-sufficient and to have confidence in ourselves. Even when we acknowledge that God is the source of those strengths. When you have a particular talent or ability or strength, it's very easy to trust in that ability. We've got to be regularly reminded of who gave us the ability and who wants to use that ability for his glory. But the reality is that weaknesses are an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. They are an opportunity for God to show up and do what only he can do. Because in our weaknesses, we know there's nothing I can do here. And only God can do something. But our tendency, again, this seems the default human setting, is to hide our flaws. It's to cover our weaknesses. We don't want anything, anybody to see the things that we're not proud about in ourselves. And so we try to cover them over and disguise them and pretend that there are no flaws. Even though we all know we've all got them, we do this strange charade where we all know we're flawed, but we all pretend we aren't. It's just one of the bizarre things about human nature. Everybody will be honest and say, Oh no, I'm not perfect. But then we, put, like, we try to put on an image as if we are. And that's exactly what the devil would have us to do. Because when you hide those things away, nothing changes. In fact, what will often happen is things will get worse. And those weaknesses will take a hold of us. There's a story in Matthew chapter 12 where there was a man with a withered hand. Yeah, we don't know exactly what had happened, but it seems that some sort of paralysis or or condition had caused him to be unable to extend his hand normally. We would say it was shrunk. It was held against himself. And he would have been as self-conscious as any other person. Would have kept that tucked away out of sight, maybe in the cloak of his garment or kept it down behind one side of his body, depending on, on how he was able to try to make people unaware of his weakness. But they brought him to Jesus, not because they wanted him to heal him. They brought him to Jesus trying to trap him to heal this man on the Sabbath. But the Lord said, not worrying about the trap they'd set for him because he seemed to always be able to deal with that. He said to this man, he said, Stretch forth thine hand. That which he was ashamed of, that which he tried to keep other people from seeing, the Lord said, Put it out in the open. And that man put his hand as far as he knew he was able to, but then by the power of God he was able to continue. And that hand went to be its full extension and returned to its complete normal function because he was willing to obey the Lord. And whether our weaknesses are physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, they will continue unchanged as long as they are hidden away. As long as we pretend they don't exist and we keep them wrapped up in the cloak of our own pride but if we will stretch them forth in obedience to the Lord, he can transform them and he can make us whole it's interesting in Job 23 And if you'll ju- I don't know if you're still there but if you want to go back there for a moment Job 23 and 9 which is our focus for this lesson remembering that we've, we're using the left and the right hand as our weaknesses and our strengths Job 23 in the first part of verse 9 says, On the left hand where he does work. in the place of weakness is where God operates. It's the place where God is able to do the most because we can't pretend it's us. It has to be surrendered to him. We can't pretend that we've got these skills and abilities. In our weaknesses, they're just there. But that's the place where Job said that God works. That's why there's that verse that I often reference in 2 Corinthians where it talks about having this treasure in earthen vessels. It's, it's a statement of, of both the power of God and the, the lack of power of humanity. An earthen vessel is just a clay pot. There's nothing glorious about it. There's nothing spectacular about it. But when he puts his spirit in that earthen vessel, He's able to demonstrate His power, but the whole time it's about Him getting the glory. And our weaknesses, if we will understand today, are an opportunity for us to let God be glorified in us and through us. They're not things to hide away and be ashamed of, but they're things that God wants to do in us. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 29. I'll read it if you want to turn there, you can. First Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Amen. When we read this passage, it talks about not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble. I think it's wrong for us to read that with the viewpoint that the church is full of low IQ people who can't tie their own shoes. I don't think that's the concept that the apostle is communicating, but rather, God is saying, that we should not in any way claim to achieve salvation through merit, through talent, through ability, or through wisdom. And as God reveals the hopeless condition of mankind and the fact that we are powerless to change ourselves, He will demonstrate that even the weakest and the most flawed of mankind can experience the power of God when we surrender to Him. This is not a statement that says the church is full of people that aren't very bright. That's not the purpose here. There are brilliant men and women in our ranks. But that brilliance makes them no closer to being ready for heaven going, as Brother Slack would have said. God's way puts all mankind on the same level. And so the principle that's in the scripture is that don't think that you have to be a certain level of intelligence or wisdom or status. It says none of that comes into the mix. But the way that I will choose to do things is not the way you will think. The things that I will value are not the things that you will value. He's not interested in how good you are or how smart you are or what your father's last name was. He's interested in will you surrender yourself to him. And the problem is that many people that are of nobility, particularly in Bible times and wealthy and intelligent, think themselves above the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a statement of what kind of people are in the church, but what happens is my surrendered weaknesses are somehow the perfect platform for Jesus to put his power on display when I will surrender all of the flaws that I have to him, he said, now I can show off. Now I can do what will give me glory and will exalt me. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and I'm coming to a close. This passage is possibly the most well-known when it comes to talking about strengths and weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, or because of this, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul, if you read from the beginning of the chapter, had been given experiences in the Spirit, incredible experiences, possibly even glimpses of heaven, it would seem. And the Lord, because of that, the Lord allowed an affliction of some kind that bothered the apostle, that he struggled to cope with. And we're not told what it was, but we are told its purpose. The purpose was to keep Paul humble to stop him from becoming full of pride and whatever it was that is described here as the messenger of satan to buffet him paul's failure to cope with that in his own ability kept his feet firmly on the ground and rather than take it away the lord allowed it to remain that he would be able to continue to be glorified through paul if Paul had have become exalted in his own self-worth and full of pride, God's ability or opportunity to continue to use him would have come to a stop. But the Lord allowed that to keep Paul leaning on him, that God would continue to be glorified through him. Amen. And we, we have to understand something. When, when we read about Paul saying, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, we're not talking about sin when we talk about weakness this morning we're not talking about sin there's no way in the world paul would say i'm going to glory in my sin but when he's talking about infirmities and he uses a few different terms he talks about infirmities reproaches necessities persecutions and distresses he's talking about things that naturally he's struggling to overcome that because of the flaws that are still in him and in his character those things are keeping him firmly on the ground they're keeping him humble. What they're doing is they're revealing weakness in him. They're revealing that he still has flaws within him, so he has to keep going back to the Lord and saying, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. God, I'm not able. You need to help me again, Lord. You need to strengthen me again. Teach me to depend on you again. It's not about sinning and falling out of the kingdom of God. It's, it's about Paul being challenged with the flaws of his own humanity. Whatever this messenger of Satan was, and it could be argued that it, was, it, that it came from the devil, or at least the Lord allowed it to come from the devil, even through that, God's purpose was achieved. Because the devil comes to destroy But the Lord took that affliction and He said, I will use this so that I can still be glorified through this vessel of clay. And by keeping Paul firmly on the ground, God was able to continue. And in our weaknesses, in your weaknesses, in my weaknesses, they're not things that we like, but they they keep us in a place where we are dependent upon Him. Where I have to still keep coming back to Him and saying, Lord, I'm not what I ought to be in that area. I've got some shortcomings. There's flaws. Lord, I I thought I had that covered, but a situation arises, a persecution, an insecurity, and that part of my flesh reaches out again and says, God, that's not who you want me to be. And I go back to him with my weakness. You see, he works on the left hand. He's working on the left hand because it's through those weaknesses where you can be a testimony to other people. But well, they can see what God is doing even though you're still flawed and you're still corrupt. Some years ago, I was with Brother Jacobson, my former, former pastor. And I was in another country at a, at a conference and there was a, a preacher there who's since gone on to be with the Lord and he was a very well-known international preacher, incredible ministry, seen probably hundreds of thousands of people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and many signs and wonders. And so he was really well known. But while we were in in this other country at this conference, something transpired. There were some uh, arrangements that fell through and the the structure of the weekend. There was a big problem, basically. And this man, who many of us would aspire to be used of God like, threw a hissy fit. He threw a hissy fit. He got upset and had a good old-fashioned tantrum because things hadn't worked out the way that they were supposed to work out. And my pastor, in his wisdom, said to myself and the other young men that were there, he said, I'm glad you got to see that. He said, because even though his ministry has been incredible, it shows you he's still just a man. Still just a vessel with a right hand and a left hand. Amen. And on the left hand, where God doth work. But the good thing is, the story didn't end there that, that man went on to apologize and to to restore whatever he'd done in that situation he recognized that he still needed the strength of god in his weaknesses amen and just as in our first lesson god wants to use our past for his purpose he also wants to use both our right hand and our left let's stand together The